In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Amen. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, Jesus speaks these words in the same scene as the Gospel lesson from John 13, which we just heard. Jesus speaks so tenderly to his disciples. He calls them his little children. He loves them. He's concerned for them and wants to prepare them for the sorrow that they will feel when he goes where they are unable to follow. He does not speak of his own sorrow. He will do that in the garden. He speaks of theirs. He exhibits such magnanimous fatherly concern that can only be learned and expressed by one who is one with the Father, who came from the Father, and who knows that he now goes back to the Father. This kindly Son of God addresses his disciples as little children of God. He loved them to the end. This is such a magnificently beautiful chapter of Holy Scripture. And it begins a long, red-lettered discourse, if your Bible can, shows Jesus' words in, in red. The next several chapters of John's Gospel consist of just such similar words of instruction and consolation to his disciples. And they serve as the Gospel lesson for most of the Sundays in the Easter season, as well as Pentecost. This evening, as we celebrate the institution of the sacrament of our Lord's crucified and risen body and blood, we receive a foretaste of Easter's theme. And how fitting this is, that it is arranged this way, since in the Lord's Supper, we receive also a foretaste of our own resurrection to glory too. With these sweet words addressing his disciples as little children, Jesus begins his final session with them before heading with Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Olives to pray for his Father's will to be done, to face his betrayer, and to be arrested. Let's hear again his words by which he begins his final and for us the longest recorded speech of instruction to his beloved disciples. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. Notice what he mentions, that he tells them exactly what he told the Jews. It was probably about a year earlier or so, in chapter 7, when the Pharisees and the chief scribes sent officers to take him by force. This is what he told them. I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I will go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. It is amazing that Jesus says pretty much the exact same thing to two different groups of people. And see how it carries such tremendously different significance each time. To the Jews who sought to bring an end to his fame, 
to silence him, Jesus gives a warning. Their efforts will fail. He will go where they are not permitted to go. And the reign of his kingdom will remain forever unthwarted by their hostile opposition against him. Calamity will befall them, and the Savior whom they now despise will be out of reach. And they will perish in unspeakable regret and misery when they realize their foolish error. Well, it's quite the warning. It is as Hosea prophesied about these people. They shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt treacherously with the Lord. What Jesus said to those who hated him was the worst judgment they could have heard. Now to his disciples, on the other hand, who sought to remain with Jesus always and to continue to hear his doctrine, we discern a different import to the very same words of Jesus. To his disciples who were grieved to hear that he would only stay a little while longer, Jesus, with the very same words, even saying that he's quoting what he said to the Jews, to the disciples, Jesus gives kind, brotherly encouragement. Their desire to go with Jesus will also fail. But not because he goes where they are not permitted to go, as it was the case with the Pharisees. No, but because he goes to bear for them what they cannot possibly endure. And this, despite Peter's protest to the contrary, Lord, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for your sake. Well, the disciples too would feel unspeakable regret, wouldn't they? They were extremely weak. Jesus knew it. They would fail in their resolve. But Jesus does not hold them to their resolve. He is held to his own. Where Jesus was going was to bear the guilt of the world and replace their regret with peace and joy in the forgiveness of their sins. And this, so that sweeter words than Hosea's might be fulfilled for them, as I paraphrase from Psalm 22, listen for it, the end of this service. They who seek the Lord shall praise the Lord, and their heart shall live forever. Jesus, our to be glorified, had come. He was soon to return to his Father who sent him. For the unbelieving Jews who sought glory and power and self-achieved righteousness, the glory that Jesus inhabits is out of reach. His going to the Father means that salvation will become a far away, as far away from them as the Father is from them. They will seek what they desire and will not find it because Jesus goes where they're not allowed to go. Jesus is the only access to heaven. For the disciples, though, Jesus teaches them to seek glory not where they are forbidden, but where they, where they are spared. He goes where they should not rightly desire to go, where God who loves them does not want them to go, where God who loves them sends his beloved Son to go there for them as their substitute. Jesus teaches them to see in his departure not abandonment, but vicarious satisfaction and intercession and atonement. Jesus goes to the cross to save them. To show them the Father. Jesus went where the Jews could not follow so that they would not find him. Jesus went where his disciples could not follow so that they might always find him. In both cases, he goes to the same place. Jesus speaks the same thing 
to both those who are thereby being judged and to those who are thereby being invited and consoled. So it is today. He who rejects me, Jesus said, and does not receive my words, has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So said Jesus immediately before our gospel lesson began. And this theme is particularly strong in John's gospel. Jesus speaks. He speaks the words of eternal life. He does not cater himself to his hearers as though some folks depend on this being said and others depend on that being said. He just speaks what his father gave him to speak. He is the word made flesh. And being the word, he does what words do that are full of grace and truth. He is faithful to the end. So where does the difference then lie? What is the difference between what Jesus says to the Pharisees and scribes when he tells them that they'll seek him and won't find him because they can't go where he's going? And then what he says to his disciples with the same words. The difference lies in the faith that his disciples have in his words. Everything comes down to how you receive his words, whether in faith or unbelief. He who is of God hears God's words. To be of God is to be his little children. To be his children is to believe his word. Jesus sees too and cares for your faith in him by speaking words for you to believe. Because your faith was not created from yourself, from blood or the will of man, but from God. And faith in Jesus consists in this, that you eat his flesh and drink his blood. That's what Jesus said. Again, these words which caused many of his disciples no longer to follow him were the very same words that strengthened the faith of the disciples who remained, as we read in John chapter 6. And what he meant by these words is that you must know God's Son as the flesh and blood man who came to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. This is sacrificial language that Jesus uses here. You eat the flesh of what is sacrificed. That is how you benefit from the sacrifice. Even pagans know this. Jesus is saying that we must regard him as the sacrifice. He is telling us that our life with God and from God is found in Jesus who is himself the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. Jesus is the Passover lamb. We benefit from his self-sacrifice by faith that his sacrifice really did take away our sin. That's what it means to eat his flesh and drink his blood. It refers to faith. In order to fulfill the Passover, Jesus had to go alone, where his disciples couldn't go. So before Jesus went alone to fulfill the Passover, see what he did. It's marvelous. See what love he has for us who cannot go where he goes. And see the connection here so that when you yourself receive the Lord's Supper, you might always grasp it in a moment with little need for difficult mental calculation. 
but by faith that seeks understanding, see in a moment the simple benefit of the sacrament that Jesus instituted on this night when he was betrayed. Unbelief makes it complicated. Faith makes it simple. So consider this simple truth. Before Jesus fulfilled the Passover, he shared the fruit of his fulfillment with his disciples. He gave them to eat and drink his body and blood even before he suffered and died. He made them partake of the sacrifice by which he would bring them with him on his way to the Father. They could not go with him to the cross. But by this sacrament, they and we are able to go where he has gone through the cross. It is in the New Testament of his body and blood that he removes the bitter herbs for you and adds to you the blood to drink which once marked doors in a distant shadow of what he accomplished. But he gives to you that which has the life in it. As we heard when we confessed our sins, everything he did, he did for you. There is that simple kernel of truth whenever you commune at this altar. We access all that Jesus accomplished for us by eating and drinking his flesh and blood by faith. That is, we recognize and trust in him as the sacrifice that makes peace between God and sinners. We believe in Jesus, and in order both to strengthen and focus this faith always in his work for you, so that you individually may know that he did it all for you individually, Jesus tells you to do more than eat and drink with your soul. He tells you to eat and drink his very body and blood with your mouth. How much more clear could God have made his intent to be your Passover lamb so that God passes over your sin than by putting into your mouth the very substance of his son's body and blood whereby he made peace with you? How much more could he condescend and bear with the simplest mind? What you eat and drink is the body and blood of God. Again, Jesus went alone where he could not go. But he gives to us in the sacrament what we altogether need for access to where he is right now. We lift our hearts up unto the Lord. This is our spiritual eating and drinking. And by the words of Jesus over the bread and wine on the altar, the Lord comes down to us and makes us partakers and beneficiaries of all that he suffered on Calvary. This is our eating and drinking in the sacrament of his body and blood. We lift our hearts and God reveals his. As with the words Jesus spoke quoted here earlier, so it is with the supper he invites us to eat. For one who lacks faith, who does not repent of his sin, it is received to judgment. To one who believes and in repentance desires forgiveness for his sins, it is the source of the sweetest comfort. Both he who hates Jesus and he who loves Jesus hear the same words. Both he who is unworthy on account of unbelief and impenitence and he who is worthy on account of his faith in these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, both receive the same body and blood in the sacrament. It is present for us by God's word. 
Our faith does not make it so, but receives it worthily. The unworthy and unprepared receive it for judgment, the worthy and believing for salvation. Of all the words that Jesus speaks, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, of all these words that translate into judgment for unbelievers and blessing to believers, let us conclude briefly this evening by considering the word of our Lord Jesus that he only spoke to us. These words were never spoken to the Pharisees. They were never spoken to the scribes. They were not spoken to the disciples until after Judas left. Jesus speaks to us this evening. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is only for you who love me. Everything else that Jesus commands will be either judgment or blessing to those who hear or receive, depending on whether they believe or not. But this command, this command or mandate, from which we get the word Maundy, Thursday, this command is given only to those who can bear it. To those who do believe, to those who have first known the love of God for them, to those who are not under the law, but under grace. The old command required that you love God above all, and your neighbor as yourself, and it condemned you. The new command is that you love one another for love of God's love toward you, who does not condemn you. See how Jesus himself, by bearing the wrath of God, turns the Ten Commandments themselves into words that bless you. This is what it means to be free. What makes the new command new is not that it's different in power or scope. What makes it new is that it is a command only to us who possess the same love of God, which we know and embrace together through faith in Jesus who loved us first. It is a command to those who, by believing, have indeed the power to love. And how has Jesus loved you? And how can we so love each other? How can we give our bodies and souls into death for each other and give every fiber of our being and drop of our blood as, as living sustenance for the needs of each other, ignoring our own desires and feelings and pleasures, all to gain what is best for others? This is how Jesus loved us. And it is our failure to come a thousand miles away from this impossible goal. It is our selfishness and pride that brings us all in common to come here for mercy we all need from Jesus Christ, who knows that we cannot even go now where he tells us to go. Oh, we can pledge ourselves to each other, our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. But like Peter, who did so for Jesus only to deny him, we find ourselves treating even our dearest loved ones and friends, even members of our own Christian congregation. We deny each other. And by so doing, we deny the love that has bound us to God. And there is no other love that can bind us to God. 
This command to love as Jesus loved drives us ever more often and with ever more regrets and sorrow to him who even now still graciously invites us to receive his compassion and forgiveness where he makes a pledge to us and he does not break it. And brothers and sisters, we need it. Each of us does dearly. Desire as we will, like Peter. We cannot go with Jesus where Jesus has gone for us. But thank God we know, we know still where to find him. Only the love of Jesus can make us clean. Only the love of Jesus can enable us to love as he has loved. Our goal toward each other is not to fix one another and contort one another into better people that are easier to love by scrubbing them senselessly clean of everything that offends or bothers us. It is not to wash hands and head. No, our goal is to follow the example of our Lord and to wash each other's feet. It is to make allowance for each other who confess the same doctrine of Christ and say amen to the same preaching of the gospel. To make allowances for how we annoy each other, distress each other, and fail to become for each other what we all wish we were. And to be content, content instead that our feet are going on the same path that leads to where Jesus forgives us all our sin. We may rebuke and correct and warn each other, and we should. Anything to gain the opportunity to direct feet to Jesus, that wander unholy pathways, to gather for what only Jesus can give so that we can love them. And he gives it. He washes us and we are completely clean. We forgive each other because Jesus forgives us. This is how we wash each other's feet. We go where Jesus leads us. We love those who follow him. Jesus forgives us. And we are completely clean. Amen. And the peace of God. Let's, no, stand. Stand for the blessing. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto everlasting life. Amen. We continue with our offertory hymn, Thee We Adore. Amen.